a prolific moment. If you were new with us this morning at Citizens Church, we have been studying the book of Acts for almost a month now, maybe a little over a month. And this morning, we specifically open to Acts chapter 4, and we witness a prolific moment. Now, I'm calling it that because what happens in today's passage cannot be taught and it cannot be bought. You see, our main takeaway last week as we studied the beginning of Acts chapter 3 was that the difficult things happening to us are the opportunities for God to work through us. We saw that in the lame man who was begging on the sidewalk just outside the temple, and the apostles Peter and John heal him. Peter actually looks him dead in the face and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And then it tells us that the man leaped into the temple, that he was singing, that he was praising God for what he had done because he had not just witnessed the healing of his legs, but truly there was healing in his soul. And as we look at our lives and we recognize that the difficult things that are happening to us, the very things that we wish were not happening to us, God is doing something through those things specifically. We can think about something as a diamond. Without pressure and without heat, we do not have diamonds. And I believe that God desires for all of us in here, all of us, to have these prolific moments that cannot be taught and cannot be bought, moments where through stretching us, through shaping us, through even the difficult things in our lives, our roots will grow deep into gospel soil. And that we, like Paul says later in the New Testament, would not be just tossed around by every wave of doctrine, every ideology within this world, but that we would be firmly rooted in the gospel message which Christ preached and which the apostles are teaching in the book of Acts. It is these moments where the Lord looks to take you deeper. Not in knowledge, not in all understanding, but in faith and trust in him. You see, the apostles are entering into a situation in chapter 4 where the pressure is being turned up. It's being ratcheted up. And for the first time in Acts, God is going to have an opportunity to shine forth his glory through the witness of the apostles, and not just the apostles in the streets, but the apostles before the leaders of the city. Now let's connect some dots. Because like I said, last week we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 3 and we saw the first 10 verses where the crippled man was healed and all the people were astonished and amazed. The rest of Acts chapter 3 is Peter preaching the gospel to those people. What is the solution to the gospel? More gospel. And what is the solution after more gospel? More gospel. Peter is just going to keep preaching Christ crucified in Acts chapter 3. And then we get to Acts chapter 4 where you can turn with me. And it begins like this. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And if you don't, don't even own a Bible, we would love to, to give you a Bible. We have free Bibles in the lobby. And so be sure to take one of those home. But Acts chapter 4, this is where we are at. Let's look at it. Starting in verse 1. While they were speaking, this is Peter and John. While they were speaking to the people... The priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection 
of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 5,000. I heard this past weekend at a conference, one man put it like this, if you don't like big churches, you, should, you certainly wouldn't like the first church, because there's a lot of people. 5,000 were added to the number just from Peter preaching the gospel. The solution to, more go- to, the, the, solution to the gospel is more gospel. But it's interesting, because we are introduced to characters here. And it says that they were annoyed. Why? Well, mainly I think it's because there was a disruption in the system. You see, Judaism has been teaching the same scriptures, laws, and customs for centuries. And the temple where Peter and John are at right now has always been the centerpiece of worship. And when Peter is introducing us, or Luke rather, as he writes the book of Acts, and he introduces us to Peter and John and the religious leaders, we understand that the religious leaders within this context, Peter is going to say, you are the ones that have one killed Jesus, but you are also those who have always been. How did you become a Sadducee or a priestly leader? Well, your dad was. And how did he become one? Well, his dad was. These leaders in this context have always been in this system of Jewish life. And now Peter and John, as they enter into this temple, and we know that the temple is special, we know that the temple is important, but the gospel is saying just something a little different. As Peter and John get into this situation, they are throwing a gospel wrench into the well-oiled machine called religion. It's been working for centuries, so why mess it up? These people have been learning the scriptures from the Pharisees. They would come to listen to the religious leaders expound on the Old Testament, and now we have these two normal guys walking up into the temple. They just healed someone, and now they're preaching Christ crucified who? Oh yeah, we just killed him maybe 100 days ago. They're throwing a wrench, a gospel wrench, into the well-oiled machine of religion. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And honestly, like before we attack or before I attack the Pharisees too much, I get being a person of repetition. I'm a person who needs their schedule. I was in Orlando this week for a conference, and I immediately catch a head cold. Because I'm, I'm just a person that if I don't sleep in my own bed, if I don't wake up at the same time and do my normal routine, then it's like my body hates me. Even when I was in the city or in the town, we don't really call Kernersville a city, do we? Um, even as I was in town just the week prior, someone in this church who will rena- uh, you know, remain nameless, we'll call him Ben Blackwood, said, hey man, let's go to a different coffee shop. A different coffee shop? You see, I'm a Kyle's Coffee man, we know that. This church is sponsored by Kyle's Coffee with his gift cards. And he tries to take me to a different coffee shop. Nah man, if it ain't broke. Don't fix it. Trying to take me to a new coffee shop. We didn't go, by the way. He went in, got his coffee, came back out, and then we went to Kyle's. So I get this whole routine, right? But with Peter and John throwing this wrench in, it's definitely not going to go over over smoothly. Because not only has a man been healed, which we'll talk about in a moment, and the leaders will ask. But like I said, people are falling in love with the message. The message of Jesus is changing the lives of the people. And listen, anytime we come into interaction with these religious leaders and the apostles, it's all about power. 
It's not the apostles versus the Pharisees vying for power. Peter did this miracle in the name of Jesus, not Peter. Peter and the apostles never preached their own name and their own message. It's not about power between the apostles and the Pharisees. What it is, is the religious leaders and the Pharisees vying against the authority that the gospel has over even them. They are the ones that have been teaching. They are the ones who know the law. They are the ones who have no God but the father of Abraham. And Jesus comes along and says, that's me. And they kill him. It's always about power. Because Jesus comes. And no longer does the religious elite have the power. But Jesus actually speaks of a kingdom where the least of these have power. The normal, everyday men and women who we met in Acts chapter 2 that were sharing bread with one another. That had all things in common because they had Jesus in common. The no-names in life who Jesus gave dignity to, those are the ones who have power and Jesus is claiming authority over it all. Scripture tells us that these officials, we have three categories here that come in and seize Peter and John. We have the priests, the temple police, and the Sadducees. I learned it in Bible college that Sadducee, you can remember that the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection because they're sad, you see. So the Sadducees were the group of religious leaders that would teach the law, but did not believe in any resurrection of the dead, especially Jesus, who they killed just 100 days ago. So they're Sadducee. And they come in and they detain the apostles because they are annoyed. They are annoyed. Well, this is what happens next. Let's look back down at it in verse 5. With their annoyance in mind, and with them coming into the temple, this is what happens. The next day, they couldn't do anything because it was already evening. Scripture tells us that, so they had to wait to the next day to bring Peter and John before the court. But here's what it says. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes, they all assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Talking about the healing of the lame man. You see, in Judaism, they believed that it was either through God or it was through the devil, to put it plainly. And so they're asking them, by what name are you doing this? Then Peter, verse 8, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, right? Rulers and elders. If we are being examined today about a good deed done, by, done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is, and he's about to quote another psalm of David, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to which people must be saved. Peter and John are literally being put in the midst of the leaders. In this context, it is just like if you were to literally throw Peter and John in the middle of this circular jury. I think of kind of like Harry Potter, right? When they're on trial, you see like the, the, the layers and the rows of the people that are judging them. That's what's going on here. They're surrounded. And the leaders want to know, verse 7 tells us, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, it's interesting 
Because you know that these guys have heard the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Peter has been so specific in all of his preaching that it's not just some Jesus Christ, it's not just some moral teacher, it's not just some good prophet, but it's Jesus Christ the Nazarene who was from a no-name town who did his ministry in Jerusalem whom you crucified. By what power did we do this? They have been proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah and thousands were added to their faith. Word gets around. Because remember, these were normal men. And to be brought before the council like this has to be intimidating. This is the first time that we've really seen this in the book of Acts. When tongues of fire are falling because we're praying, and when the lame are being healed, and we have all things in common, those are pretty groovy moments. But now, I'm being arrested for doing good things. I'm being drugged before the temple, and Peter and the apostles have to be thinking, last time Jesus was before these men, He was crucified. But verse 8, verse 8 says this, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference here. Just 100 days prior, when Jesus is in court, and Jesus is being crucified, where is Peter? He's hiding. But now as we reach Acts chapter 4, there's a special caveat that Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us. And it's not that Peter was brave, and it's not that Peter just really, really believed. It was that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the promise of Jesus. It'll be on the screen, so don't turn there. But Mark chapter 13, verse 11, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. So when they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand what you will say. But say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. This was a promise of Jesus even before he was taken before the courts, that he looked at his followers and he said, don't be surprised, you'll be arrested. Don't be surprised, you'll be handed over. And don't worry about what you will say, because in that moment, right, Peter, the same dude that's like cutting ears off. In that moment, you will be tempted to either hide or speak out of your own strength. And he says, don't worry about either of that because when you open your mouth, it will not be you speaking, but it will be the Spirit of God directing your words. Peter did not speak to their own credentials, nor did they deny what had happened like he had done in the past. And Peter says, how did we do this? Being filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll tell you how we did this. Jesus healed this man, and if Jesus healed this man, it means he is alive, because listen to me, guys, a dead God cannot raise anybody to life. He cannot pick them up. He cannot take muscles that have atrophied over 40 years and bring them back to perfect health. A dead God cannot do this. So for Peter to say, Jesus healed this man in the name of Jesus, he is saying, the God who you crucified, God has raised him up. Jesus is alive today. It is in this moment that the Spirit replaces worry with boldness. The Spirit, not everything that you can muster up, not your knowledge, not your wit, the Spirit is what's replacing worry with boldness. Because where the Spirit is, there is no room for worry. And in boldness, Peter exclaims the exclusivity of the gospel. Did you catch the end of that section that we just read? That this Jesus, Peter quotes a psalm. 
that the cornerstone that the builders rejected, and they would have understood this because the cornerstone is the place that you start when you're building something. And basically Peter is saying the cornerstone that you have rejected, the stone that you have rejected, that you threw out because it was no good, that has become the cornerstone of everything that we're doing here. And how? Verse 12, let's look back down at it. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to which people must be saved. It's not just that Jesus healed this man. It's that no one else could have. And this authority that you are showing over us, that same Jesus has authority over you. And then Peter continues to preach this because in my Bible it says the boldness of the disciples. Look back down at it, verse 13 and following. When they, the religious leaders who have these men on trial, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized, catch this, realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Let's just pause here for a moment and recognize something. That the uncommon spirit, the spirit of power, the spirit of life, the uncommon spirit rests inside the common person. As they are standing before these people, the one thing that they recognize is that they are speaking with a different kind of authority, a different kind of boldness, yet they're untrained and they're uneducated. They had commonness about them. Because to be uneducated and untrained, yet preach the scriptures like they are, was not normal in society. But, not only do the religious leaders notice that these men are untrained and uneducated, but they also recognize that they had actually been with Jesus. That this teaching has been going around for a couple years now. That truly, Peter and John have bought into this message because being filled with the Holy Spirit, we have common men coming before the men who thought they were not common. The men who were the religious elite. And it just shows us. And it begs the question and answers the question, who does Jesus use? People like us. Untrained and uneducated. Today we still believe the lie that you must be educated and you must be trained. Raise your hand in here if you have a seminary degree. Okay, so just me. So is it my job to do all this and you guys just follow me blindly? You take everything I say as truth. You take everything I say as correct. No. You see, what this passage teaches us is, is it good to have knowledge? Sure. I don't believe that my degrees were wasted. But we actually have this belief within our religion called the priesthood of all believers. That says you don't need a seminary degree if you have the Spirit. You don't need all the Bible knowledge in the world if you have the Spirit. That person that you're scared to share the gospel with because they may ask you where is the ark, you don't have to worry about that because you have been entrusted with the Spirit of the living God. What are you waiting for? And if you're thinking, oh man, 
God obviously, obviously uses people like Adam. Not, not so. He obviously uses people like you. These disciples had no Bible degree. They were normal men. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were tradesmen. Sure, I might know how to write an exegesis paper, but you know what I can't do? Change the oil in my car. I heard this week at the conference that we should all live lives as mature Christian plumbers. We think that the pastor is up here on a pedestal and that you all are down here doing whatever it is that you do and I do the very important stuff. Not so. If you are a mechanic, do it for the glory of God. If you are a plumber, do it for the glory of God. A counselor, a teacher, a student, whatever it is, God puts his uncommon spirit inside the common person. And how do you know? How do you know if you are in this game? Are you doing bold things? Are your prayers so big that if God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen? Are you in the game? And guys, this is not tryouts. This is upward. Everybody plays. Everybody gets to play in this game of faith. They were common men. They were common men. But not just their commonness, but verse 14 tells us that they also had recognized that the man who was healed is standing before them today. So what the disciples had in their midst here were their normal everyday lives where they proclaimed Jesus, and also they had witness of not just changed legs, but of another changed life that comes through the preaching of the gospel. We could say it like this, that before the jury and before our world, there is no greater testimony than a changed life. It's not your knowledge. Your greatest testimony is not how smart you are when you open the scriptures. The greatest testimony to this world is a changed life. And if you were in Jesus this morning, you may have not been rescued from a crippling disability. But you have certainly been set free of your sin. You have certainly been set free of this dead, cold heart. And as Jesus sets us free, we ask these questions. Do we have an uncommon love, not knowledge, but an uncommon love for our neighbor? Is your kindness towards others different because of Jesus? Do you take the high road at work and school and work ethically and honestly? What does it look like for an uncommon spirit to come into a common person? Everything changes, and now the way that we interact through our changed life is evident. And here's the good news, guys. Sometimes we turn on the news, especially today, and we think, man, where is this world going but actually the, there's good news in this because while the ways of Jesus are becoming less and less common we are going to have more and more opportunity more and more opportunity as the ways of Jesus become less common in our world today people are worried and maybe you're like yeah that's me people are scared People are being torn apart by evil ideologies and their souls are being tormented because what the world promises does not free their soul. This you-do-you you ideology does not work. 
people are starving. And they're starving for truth. And so while this world may look like it's in shambles, and, and maybe it is, I don't know. Guys, we have to have this hopeful optimism that God works the brightest in the darkest. When our world is angry, when our world is divided, we have an opportunity as not just Citizens Church, but as the capital C Church to show them a unity, to show them a love, to show them a kindness that they can only look at it and say, man, that's something different. I think they've been with Jesus. There's something about them. I see a changed life. You and I have an uncommon spirit inside of us, and it's leading us to be a voice in the world, a light in the darkness. And the spirit, listen to me closely. Amen, Oakland. The spirit is not leading us to be right. It's leading us to be love. In the world of chaos, no one is looking for you to be right. They're looking for you to be love. They're looking for someone who actually cares about them. Who actually wants to know how their week is going. The world is not asking us. Nor do they care if we're right or wrong. They just want something different. Because what they are digesting is not working. A changed life confounds the ways of this world. It's evident. And the world doesn't know what to do with it. Let's keep reading, verse 15. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? <laughs> For an obvious sign has been done through them, and it's clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them, and threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again, so they called for them and ordered them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. What do we do with this? Because people are not only coming to it, they are believing in it. And even the religious leaders know we can't deny that something is happening. So they decide to threaten them. That'll shut them up, right? If we threaten them, that will shut them up. Well, let's look down at it. Verse 19. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. The Greek translation of that phrase is no. That was a joke, but no one, it didn't land. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done for this sign of healing. This sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. It's more than we shouldn't. It's more than, you know what, we really shouldn't stop preaching because Jesus actually told us to. It's we can't. The best translation here is that we cannot stop teaching. And spoiler alert, they don't. To quit speaking of Jesus Christ is to deny the very spirit that he's given us through a life changed by the gospel. It's more than you shouldn't. Peter and John saying, we can't. And I love Peter saying this because he's a man who's already denied him three times. He gets that whole role. And he's saying, never again will that happen. If we have been changed by the gospel, 
If you and I this morning are in Jesus Christ, to not preach Christ is to deny who we truly are. Because once again, Peter's not just go back to his knowledge about Jesus, which is why he can't stop preaching. It says in the scriptures, we cannot stop preaching because we have seen it and we have heard it. We are the men who are witnesses of all of Jesus' glory while he was here on earth. To deny all of that is to deny who we really are. So whatever you think we should do, that's on you. But we control us, and we cannot stop preaching. We cannot stop teaching. We cannot stop healing. In a world that is chaotic, we cannot stop To stop is to deny who we truly are. And if you hear one thing this morning, hear this. That the glory of God is seen in the unrelenting mission of the church. The glory of God is not seen in all of the Bible and scriptural knowledge that we have. The glory of God is clearly and most visible seen in our unrelenting mission. We can't stop, we won't stop. To stop opening this word is to deny who we truly are. To stop loving for our neighbor is to deny who we really are. To stop actually taking interest in things such as um, abortion in this nation, social justice, Gender equality. To stop taking interest in those or to deny who we really are. We're going to have two opportunities which I'm going to talk about um, in in just a little while with this church. Um, And I'll just briefly mention them here because this goes into the unrelenting mission of the church. On Saturday, April 30th, uh, the Walk for Life, which is sponsored by the Pregnancy Network, has a walk that we did last year and that we're going to do this year. Our team is already registered, so you can, you can sign up for that. And we walk in that because we believe that every life matters, that there is life at conception. So we want to raise funds for the pregnancy network so that they can provide free ultrasounds, free diapers, everything that a young mother may need to support her and her child. That's on April 30th. But if you can't make that, good news. The next weekend, May 7th, we're, we're sponsored, we're one of the main sponsors in May the Course Be With You, which is a restoration counseling service in Greensboro, and they sponsor and give free counseling if it's needed to women and children. Why? Because that's who God says pure, undefiled religion is, taking care of the widows and orphans. So there's two opportunities where we show this world that while the world is in chaos, the unrelenting mission of the church keeps going on. To not care about these things is to deny who we truly are because as we see in verse 21, as we just read, this is just the beginning of the movement of the church. This is not the last time that these men will be drugged before the courts. This is a prolific moment. This is a moment that they will look back on and as they experience, they will realize that, oh, it's not just through the cool things such as a healing. It's not just through the tongues of fire and prayer together, but it's actually through this, I'm scared to death before these men, but the Spirit is working through me, that the roots of the gospel go even deeper. Because what happens when you try to squash the church? It scatters. It always has, and it always will. 
When you persecute the church and put your thumb over it and try to squash it, it just gets more bolder. It always has. And the church has not stopped since this moment. The church has spread to many nations, to many people groups, and it's happened mainly through persecution and suffering. Lord, give us this boldness that even when we are taken before the courts or maybe we're just taken before our neighbor, we will not be scared, but we will recognize that the spirit that dwells inside of us, common man, common woman, gives uncommon peace, uncommon boldness, uncommon love for those around us. When you were taken before people and you were taking that bold next step in the Spirit, know that the Spirit rests and resides in you and will bring up power if we would only open our mouth to this world around us. This will not be the last time <laughs> that these, man will, these men will be taken into courts. And once again, a spoiler alert, at, at some point, these men will be killed. At some point, they will not get out of this jail. They, they will be killed, all of them. But not yet. Not yet. And as they are persecuted, they grow bolder in prayer. They grow bolder in love. They grow bolder in mission because the unrelenting mission of the church is what shows this world the glory of God. You and I, not just Adam, not just the staff team, you and I are on mission together. That's why you're here. That's why we gather to be on mission together, amen?